Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. I'm Sarah. Here at Yowie Central, we explore the latest on Yowie research in Australia. We hear Yowie witness testimonies and we talk to the seriously dedicated researchers out there. And because I've always been fascinated by all sorts of mysterious phenomena, we dive down rabbit holes galore. Paranormal encounters, UFOs and alien abductions, cryptid creatures, orbs, psychics and anything else kooky and spooky. Before we hear from our special guest today, I interviewed someone last week who very recently saw a Junjadi, so a little hairy fella, in the upper Coomera area of Queensland. He had reason to believe that a lot of the neighbours in his estate might be encountering this same being or a group of beings. So I thought I'd just put this out there. If you live in that area, in the Upper Coomera area, and you've seen, heard or smelt anything strange, get in touch with Australian Yowie Research. You can contact me for that at sarah at yowiehunters.com.au. Now, my special guest today is Damien Douglas, the host of The Vault podcast 
and founder of SETEC, which is the study of extraterrestrial encounters and communications. And he also runs the AAC, which is the Australian community, which includes the Alien Abductees Community Outreach Project. Damien has also had paranormal events happening to him since he was a boy. And he's going to share some downright frightening experiences with us today. If you haven't heard of CE5, just so you know for the upcoming chat, it is the practice of actually attempting communication with alien beings. So here he is. Here's Damien. Why don't we just start with how you got into the UFO subject, UFOs, aliens. Uh, am I gathering right that you've had your own abduction stories going on? I, uh, it was a lot, of, um, a lot of early experiences with phenomena in general. So completely unaware at the time of the, the capacity of what was happening. But um, it was predominantly through just observing uh, my surroundings and realizing that hold on things weren't seeming right. And this was about, you know, probably I started noticing probably at the age of about seven things that were happening and presenting themselves to me. And I knew very, very quickly that I wasn't able to discuss them with everyone because the kids my age, you know, in the UK, you know, we weren't talking about that stuff. You know, movies were a big thing kids my age were in they were into superman and um you know marvel based uh, characters you know but these real world things that were happening they just didn't seem to have there was no one to talk to about it so i di- it didn't quite hit me until in my late teens when i started um realizing oh hold on there's something happening i'm either going to acknowledge it or i'm going to shut it out because it 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 could be quite scary and yeah that's kind of i guess in a nutshell, kind of how things kicked off. And I kind of kept my mouth closed for a long time because every time I'd, every time I'd bring it up, I'm like, hey, I saw this and, hey, I can hear this or I can feel this. It just wasn't met with very um, welcoming <laughs> uh, uh, narratives. It was always, don't be silly. That's fairly fairly standard response from a lot of parents, I think. So what kind of things were happening to you at that age? What were you noticing? Um, well... The, the first, the, well, the one that sticks in my mind was the ability, the ability to, oh, it's going to, and when I, when I speak about this, I don't actually often get asked these questions. It's always usually about other people um, with <laughs> the AAC. And so talking about this stuff, it, you quickly realize like, hold on. Wow. Okay. That actually did happen. My first noticeable things was uh, I was very emotional as a, uh, as a child, I was more emotional than that I that I found my my brother and my family in general were, and um, I you know I kind of suppressed that because it, it brought forward a lot of unwanted attention. So I always thought, okay, well, I will just go into my own introverse and and enjoy that. Now, one of the things that were happening was predominantly at night, I would try to go to sleep. 
but I was always very alert. I wasn't scared of anything. I, you know, I was just very observant, always focused on not, hey, I'm scared what's in the corner of the room, it's going to eat me, or um, what's under my bed. It was, okay, there's something here. I don't understand what it is, um, but I'm not alone. Now, I don't know where those ideas came from. I didn't watch horror. I didn't, I wasn't allowed to watch that stuff. All I did as a child was listening, you know, listening to, listening to music and things like that. I very much had a normal childhood. So things that were happening were very, things that I, I couldn't see. It was in my dream state that I, that I really started having experiences. Well, I thought I was dreaming. Um, it, things that were happening consisted of a dream. I didn't have the typical you know, nightmares or anything like that. In fact, I didn't have nightmares at all. I was excited to go to, uh, to, to actually go to sleep. And the reason why is because when I went to sleep or what I thought was asleep, I had the ability to travel in and out of my room. Now that sounds insane. Even like I'm, I'm 43 now. And when I say that, I absolutely feel ridiculous saying it. And it's, it's something that I've had to kind of talk about and make sense of it myself. I, I always, I would think I would be dreaming, but I wouldn't physically be obviously flying. I mean, I wish I could, but in my mind, you know, I was very calm, relaxed, and I was always floating. And this was happening on and off for a long time. It, there wasn't any, any amount of stress that was kind of provoking these kind of thoughts or anything like that. It was simply fall asleep and this is what I felt was happening. Um, it got to the stage where I was confident enough whilst I was in that dream state to be traveling out of my room because whilst I was, you know, um, weightless and just kind of moving around my room, I would always go to the corners like I couldn't control where I was going. So very quickly I got control of it. And um, before I knew it, I was able to kind of, get down the stairs and um, by get down the stairs I mean, I mean walk I mean kind of float I always saw my hands always saw my feet I'd be wearing the same items I was wearing it didn't feel right there was no sound um, it was always discolored and um, yeah I could virtually see my siblings sleeping I could hover over them and that was nuts um, to me and I put them down over time um, to dreams uh, until I started telling my mum exactly, you know, things that were happening. Um, like I would know that my dad would be sleeping in a certain position or I'd know that they spoke about this or um, I would know that he didn't go to bed at all. He'd be downstairs. And this became the norm with me knowing these things. So that was a truth teller. And then the thing that scared the absolute crap out of me that stopped all activity was I knew there was something up and I wanted to see more. And I'm like, well, if there's something going on, just can I see something? And I asked for it. I didn't ask for it out loud. I drew it. I thought it, I wanted it really bad and uh, I didn't like what I saw. And yeah, like I said, I cracked myself and um, I didn't have many experiences after that until my later teenage years and that was a um I was in my bed and I wasn't asleep I was trying to get to sleep and basically yeah right above my head was a blue baby a blue baby and um and I'm not just talking it was 
it, I can't even, it was transparent. It was transparent, um, but it was blue. It wasn't like teal or anything like that. It looked like, well, I don't know, like like the um, a baby version of, you know, the whole avatar thing. Yeah, right. That, that, yeah, and I knew it was a fit, like a fetus, not like, like bigger than a fetus, like it was an actual baby, but it was in fetal position, like it was almost like in utero, and I knew that. And I don't know how I knew that because, like I said, it wasn't something that was discussed. Um, I knew that it was, it wasn't awake. It, it was uh, asleep. It was in, like I said, in utero. It was blue. I didn't like it. And I felt like whatever it was or whatever was being shown to me, it knew, it knew that it was stressing me out. And um, from that point, it stopped. Um, immediately in fact it, it really stopped and then the physical aspects came into play things that were happening that I would be seeing and feeling had stopped and then the physical aspects started so I started sleeping a lot more I it was like I had felt a bit of a loss um, in communication and I was just kind of someone completely different and that is, I mean, that that seems a little bit messy and chaotic because obviously the timeline it didn't all happen at once. But um, yeah, that was that was my introduction into hey, there's there's stuff happening um, aside from the the physical sense of how we live. So you were seven when that happened. About seven, yeah, because yeah. I got to Australia when I was eight, and that was yeah probably a couple of years before it. So yeah, six or seven. And I believe the year would have been about 87. I always look at the music and movies around that era and have a look at okay, what could have impressioned me. But um, like I said, my parents were pretty strict back then. They didn't really let me watch that stuff. And I wasn't really into, wasn't really into, you know, aliens per se. I didn't, I wasn't into extraterrestrial. I wasn't into UFOs. You know, it was, it was just a thing. It wasn't until the activity had stopped that I felt this humongous loss, like I said before, and I started talking about it. And my brother, my brother said to me one day, what, what's wrong? And I'm like, well, I just, I, I can't like, I can't speak. Like no one understands how I'm feeling. And he goes, well, okay, well, who can you speak to? Cause we were very close um, in relation to age and everything like that. So, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to talk to dad. I don't want to talk to mom. I don't know how I'm feeling. And it was just messy. So he manipulated me and he, he hated playing alone. He always wanted to play with, you know, someone. And if he's doing something, everyone else has to. So he tricked me up and he said to me one day, and it was just so random. And he goes, did you know that if you draw something physically, like if you actually draw something, it'll come? And I'm like, what will come? And he goes, I don't know. Like, if you draw, it'll come. Whatever you want, it'll come. And it never made sense to me. I'm like, okay. And I was his little brother, so I just, I followed him. I just said, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So I started drawing all these pictures. And that's, that is when reality hit me and went, okay, where am I getting all these visuals from? Where, what am I, why am I drawing this? How do I even know? Is this what uh, an extraterrestrial looks like? 
all I know is pictures of ET and the movie and everything like that. I don't know anything else. Um, there's no internet. I, I didn't have books. What is this? Um, so you were just yeah, drawing, you were drawing pictures of, of aliens and UFOs and things. I was drawing craft, but it was very. What confused me is that when like is by that stage, I think oh, you probably the first Star Wars came out and everything like that. So I think at some point I would have had an idea of what a spaceship looked like. You know, kids, we have these imaginations. and But I wasn't drawing that. That wasn't what I was drawing. I wasn't interested in Star Wars, to be honest with you. I wasn't, I was legitimately not interested. The only thing I was interested in is Michael Jackson. I just wanted to hear his music and that was my life. I had no interest in anything else. So for me to be drawing beings that I had never seen before was quite odd. And I remember my my brother um, saying, well, what the hell's that? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and I just, you know, I kept drawing them. And, the, and the, the, the craft that I was drawing, it wasn't technical. It was literally like a circle, like just circles. And I would put these pictures up on every corner, every part of a wall that was mine that I could do I would fill it because I had taken on the aspect okay if I draw it they'll come back if I draw it they'll come back if I draw it I'll come back and I was obsessed absolutely obsessed and it wasn't until I got to Australia that I I saw my first I guess mainstream alien um, because my grandmother had this book it was a it was called the unexplained and i looked in it and there was this alien and i couldn't believe it i'm like holy crap i have been drawing this thing for almost two years of my life and this is what i've been drawing and i showed my brother he's like yeah that's weird and yeah and that's that's how it all started <laughs> and and so so you said then when you when you were a teenager, did did activity start ramping up then? Or? Yeah, it was um, always. I was always very sensitive to everything. My mum was as well, and just odd things, mainly odd things. You know, displacement of uh, things, cold spots inside the house, attachment, lots of things flying at me, um, always toward me, and it still happens now. Always toward me, never. You know, it's never when I'm out of the room or things falling over, it's always toward me. Like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was standing in the kitchen. In fact, it was a couple of months ago. It wasn't weeks ago. I was standing in the kitchen, uh, talking to my partner, and uh, as I was talking, the side of the microwave, I always try and hide as much as I can beside the microwave. Um, it's just a, a hidey hole. But this, um, uh, this piece of paper, like crunched up, literally just threw itself um, from the microwave and hit me in the side. So those types of things always, you know, um, always kind of have happened. I'd be sitting down and I'd hear lights go off and on and, you know, um, I'd ask again, my partner, can you turn that light off? And I'd realise, hold on, she's not even, she's not even standing up. Who turned the light on? And different things like that have happened. And, you know, yeah, that continued until I was probably about 27, uh, the paranormal sense. The thing is, when, um, what I've learnt through research 
uh, now being actively involved in what I'm doing, it's really dependent on energy and kind of where your mindset is. I mean, I was a normal kid. I had to go through, you know, puberty just like everyone else had to go through, you know, relationships and everything like that. So as you develop, you know, so do the experiences. And unfortunately, in my world, took a took a turn when I was about uh, 15. I'd always been unwell with my heart and, you know, nothing nothing kind of prepared me for a family breakdown and the, the emotional aspect of loss. Um, it was always physical. And so unfortunately the whole, the whole family um, was part and that's when things started getting really dark. Every, it's like every, if I'm feeling good, good things happen and positive things happen. But if I'm feeling bad, negative things happen. And I put that down to attachment. I put that down to, you know, what I'm attracting and, and whatnot. But I guess the, the negative aspect of it is that it, it really does present itself. Like when it happens, it, it's really obvious. Yeah, these, I just seem to get it. Um, uh, these things, whether it be energy or spirits, or anything, they just attach themselves. It's quite draining. Yes, it would be. And it happens in every house. How do you go about clearing those attachments when you notice that they've, you've got, you've got a, a presence there and a spirit there? You pay someone, no, you don't. Um, well, you do actually, but luckily yeah. I had a mate. I had a mate to do it for me. And so talk you through a bit of, I guess, what happened four years ago. It, um, I guess negative-wise, it, it probably going through probably the worst part of what I, what I feel has been was a really hard journey. So the, the overall feeling in my life was quite low energy and it was dealing with a lot, you know, especially with children and everything like that, um, custody battles and things like that. So my partner and I moved into this house and this is this is the kind of attachment and then uh, I'll explain how we got rid of the entity. So what happened was um, moved into the house. I mean, it was an old house. We knew what we were getting ourselves into. It was nice and tidy, but it was an older house. It was in um, Wynnum, Brisbane. And, you know, we moved in there, the back lawn, it was you know, always a little bit overgrown and everything like that. It just, it, it was a very tiny house, no air conditioning. Yeah, it was, it was the first house that we moved into as a couple and, and we were pretty excited about it. So we had a few pets. We had a dog, um, a couple of cats and two children. And I would have my daughter 50% of the time. And yeah, and that was the I guess the the feeling around the house. I was studying. I was working full time and studying as well, and my partner was um, also studying and working and and whatnot. Okay, so from there, it started. The attachment started with the overall feeling of the house. We had always seen different things, and uh, for example, the energy was that low in the house that when we'd walk into the house, um, we would automatically feel tired. Um, we'd want to sleep. We felt very, very just not even relaxed. It was just unmotivated and didn't want to do anything. And we noticed that a lot and we started talking about it and that's when things started, you know, acting up. My son started coming into us saying, Hey, I'm, there's, there's a boy with no eyes. And we thought, oh, okay, there's a boy with no eyes. That's, Okay, no worries. I said, look, there's no boy. That's not creepy at all. (laughs) No, not creepy at all. I'm all good. And, you know, 
the the thoughts that went through my head, but I want I didn't want him to be as afraid as I was. Um, so I'm like, no, nah, I stamped it out, and I'm like, oh, well, hold on, I can't just say no. He's not seeing it. So I even set up cameras myself, and I'm like, you know. I've I've felt this stuff before. I've never seen what he's seen. Like I've seen that the blue baby, and who I always call the blue baby. But I've never seen you know someone. Anyway, I'm thinking, oh well, he does watch some YouTube. You know, he's only four. Maybe maybe he's seen something. Anyway, it kept happening. It kept happening. So and he started getting really down about it, and it was affecting his moods, his sleeping patterns. Uh, we noticed there was a behavior change with the cats and dogs, a uh, dog as well. The cats were running up and down from the front door to the back door. And we're like, well, you know, it could be a moth, could be anything. But it was very patterned and the cat would jump in certain spots. And yeah, it was very annoying. We had to literally put the cat into a room because it was keeping us up all night. So he kept having these, what you know, what we thought were dreams. And then things started heating up. He said that he could see two children. And then over time, he said that they were communicating with him. So that was communicated about, yeah, he was just, he was telling us these things. It was very mature conversation for a four or five year old. It was just, okay. And he was very intelligent in what he was saying. Um, he wasn't, he said he's not scared, but they, they keep trying to talk to him. It got to the point where, he started getting scared because they were becoming more brazen. They were, they were very intrusive. And they said, oh, he said, the last thing he said to us that made us think, oh, we better do something, was uh, they're trying to bite my necklace. And it's like, okay, well, what are they doing? And they're like, they're walking up and they're trying to bite it. But there's a man behind them. It's like, okay, mm. um, all right, that's <laughs> it's getting a little <laughs> bit uh, scary. Yeah. So we – we relocated and we put him in our room and, you know, we, we were like, okay. So, you know, a couple of days had passed. It's still a feeling uneasy. We didn't like the room. We didn't like walking into it, but we thought, you know what, this could be a mindset. <sighs> let's, let's put both kids in there. They're sleeping in their room tonight and we'll see what happens. And boy, did shit hit the fan. My daughter, like I said, we had her 50, 50 and, you know, we'd, um, cause we we're going through a, uh, a custody battle and everything. We, we sheltered a lot, sheltered her a lot of, uh, sheltered her from, sorry, a lot of, you know, things that were happening. So we certainly didn't want her feeling uneasy about coming to my house. So yep. In the room they go, he felt a bit better that she was in there and yeah, that it was, it was good. We set their bedroom up nice and um, well, we made them more comfortable I was hoping that the dramas would stop. The pets never slowed down, but the kids, they didn't feel good. They just wouldn't sleep and they just couldn't settle down. Then I came home from uni one day and Marta, my partner, said, oh, they've been saying some really weird things. I'm like, what? And she goes, they keep, they keep pretending they're old, hunched over and pretending they can't walk fast kind of thing, like an old person. I'm like, oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's weird. Maybe they've seen something. I don't know. And they, they're like, oh, I'm old. I'm, and they're pulling these faces. And I'm like, okay, that's, maybe they're just playing around. And we didn't think too much of it, but it kept going on. And then Jacob started complaining about his bed shaking. And 
I mean, the first thing I thought was Exorcist. I'm like, yeah. oh, here we go. Yes, yes. Oh, like, this is that's too, scary. Come on, mate. Yeah, and I'm not, I wasn't hearing any, you know, the bed shaking and that. Like, I didn't hear all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, that, Jacob, it's not. I said, it's probably the cat under it because the cat used to get under the bed and they were kittens at that stage. So, you know, playing around and, so I put it down to that and I said, look, it's nothing. It's just the cats. And he's like, there's no cats in here. There's no cats in here. But anyway, we were, I mean, we were exhausted by this stage. We're like, oh, we really, we just want to sleep. Um, anyway, he, he kept, he kept complaining of it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's lock the cats away into a different room and we'll, yeah, we'll see if we have any dramas there. And then one day, um, sorry, one evening we put both the kids to bed. Like I said, shit hit the fan. So his, pillow apparently was shaking and it was moving his head and I I didn't quite I didn't quite get the story until I kind of he was he was screaming and then I heard my daughter and then went into the room looked to the right and my daughter and Jacob were on the right hand side on her bed and I asked her immediately because we hadn't spoken her I said Albert what has happened and she's very honest. And she's like, the bed was moving. The pillow was shaking. I said, did you see it? And she said, yes. Right. I said, okay, right. Now, she just doesn't she, she doesn't lie. And I'm like, okay. I said, so show me what it was doing. And she, they showed me. And they showed me the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, okay. There's something definitely going on. We, we need to get this checked out. Okay, so fast forward. Um, contact with a friend of mine who is a medium. I said, look, I need your help. Um, could you please just come into our house and check it out? And it's when this happened, I started realizing that you know, I was carrying a lot of energy with me and there was attachment and a lot of things happening. So what had happened was she came, she eventually came two days later and she was talking to me up until that point. I was just debriefing her on what we were feeling and all that kind of stuff. She walked into the house and I, I, my initial reaction was to go and say, oh, I hadn't seen her for about a year. And she goes, oh, hold on. And she kind of silenced me and put her hand up to me. I said, just wait, I'm actually just speaking. And I thought she had like headphones in, like um, talking to someone like her son or whatever it is. But no, she was looking to the corner of the room and she was like, okay, yeah, I understand. Okay. And then she kept walking and then she goes, can you just let me walk through your house for a minute? And she was talking consistently she was saying oh hello how are you and this just went on and on and on <laughs> i'm thinking she's lost it she's on some kind of drugs and i need to get her out of my house <laughs> no um and it was it was polarizing i just couldn't believe it and then she um and she goes okay no worries i need to talk to my friends now and i will come back to you and then she sat us down she said oh i see I see what's going on. I said, right. So what's, what, what are you getting? She goes, you have a little girl who was part of a black camp and the energy in the house is just right for her to pass through. She's passing through next door neighbor's house as well. And they know about it. I said, right. I said, I don't know the neighbors. And she said, you need to go and introduce yourself. I said, okay. And she goes, yeah, she's passing through that house into Jacob's bedroom. There is a boy, but we, we don't know too much about him. The girl is very frustrated because she just wants to play and Jacob doesn't want to play with her. And I said, okay, no worries. Um, she was an Indigenous girl 
And she said, yeah. She goes, but the issue um, is that your house falls on a, uh, like a ley line. You have, you are like a, yeah, your door may as well be like a shopping mall. Um, (laughs) And I said, right. She goes, you are getting all kinds of things in here. And she goes, it's just, there's a lot. I said, okay. Anyway, she told us um, that there is one in particular, um, the one spirit that won't leave, that is very angry. I said, okay. And she goes, yeah, he's attached to the house. He's actually attached to this cupboard. And the energy, like I said, is just right for him to exist and for him to have an impact. And he's impacting the kids negatively. He hates the kids. He hates that you've put the cupboard where it is. And he wants the kids out of that room. He he passed away. He died alone. His uh, He died alone because of what he's done in life. Mm. Um, and she said, and I have told him that he has a choice. He either leaves or I move him. And he told me that he will not be leaving. So she said, so I need to leave that for a minute and just let you know that that's what's happening. Anyway. She said, look, this is what you do. You um, we, you have these crystals. You put them in the four corners of your home. This is the prayer that we say, the white light prayer. This is what we do to protect our house up until I come back. When I come back, I will move these spirits on. I need backup. And I'm like, wow, okay. Right. Um, <laughs> Ghostbusters. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I, well, she, she, was very, she was very firm with it. She was like, it's okay. You'll be okay. But, yeah, she goes, have you been getting feelings that you, you don't, you can't, do anything. I said, yeah. I said, I don't want you to go. Said, yeah, you, they don't want you to touch a thing in this house. They don't want you to move the bed. They don't want you to do anything. And she, I said, I actually wanted to get rid of that cupboard. She goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> she goes, but that's not, that doesn't work. That, that cupboard wants to stay and um, it's with its owner. I said, all right, well, okay. And she goes, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to get that cupboard out of your house right now. Put it out on the front lawn. And that is, that is the spirit's opportunity to leave. You've kicked him out of your house and you want him to leave. She goes, it could intensify or he could leave. Anyway, so I did that. Um, I put the crystals in the four corners of his room, in Jacob's room. I put uh, crystals in the house. We saged every night. We did uh, protection um, spells. And while we were doing this, we were feeling ridiculous. We were like, God, what is wrong with us? Look, look at what we're doing. So climactically, you know, we anticipated the two days later that she'd return. She did bring back up. She brought a, lot, a few materials and she brought a particular person who was um, Indigenous. And they started with walking through the house. They politely asked everyone who doesn't need to be here to leave. And they weren't talking to me. We were just sitting in the lounge. We were just waiting. And in this time, my son had fallen asleep. And he was on the lounge. My daughter was not with us for that weekend, thankfully. And, um, yeah, our son was asleep on the lounge. And so she said, look, so we've had a chat to this man in the cupboard. He hasn't left. He's still out there. I said, right. And she goes, he actually, he's refusing. So we are now going to get rid of him. But just, yeah, that's what we're doing. They were out there for ages. They just, they were, it's like they were negotiating. They weren't yelling and they were just looking and listening. And then they made a, um, they made a, like a, not not a bargain, like more of an ultimatum. If you don't leave, 
we will remove you and you won't be going where you want to go. And he left. He left. And I didn't understand what, how it looked. And, you know, I, I didn't quite understand what was happening. I really had to kind of speculate what was happening. So what I had done was I wanted to show my mum what was happening because she was very spiritual. So I took a photo and I took a photo of out of the louvers. So it was like a glass louver. And I took the photo and it had my reflection in it as well. <laughs> but um, it wasn't until about uh, a month later, I looked back at those photos and I saw what I saw, which, oh my God, it was horrible. The the old man was actually um, slouched over my shoulder. He was absolutely grotesque, skeleton like. It was, it was like, it actually, it looked like a horror. It was he was absolutely ugly. He was an ugly person, ugly spirit, and I could see from looking at the photo that now I understand why we have been feeling the way we have been. So that that really yeah it, that really sent shockwaves up to us now i you know fair enough that was that was happening and you know we didn't really know the extent of it he was obviously bringing the levels down and feeding on whatever energy i was giving it you know so i was very aware of that and still am after he had moved on they came into the house and they said look now we have to you know, talk to the little girl and they had to sing her song. They learned that it was a rainbow song about her Indigenous people. Um, she was from a local tribe. She was sold into a white family, and that is where she died. The conditions and where she died, we don't know. But this, she was approximately about just two years older than Jacob. They had performed a song for her, for her particular tribe. Um, she taught them it. They sang it, and then she left. Now, as she left... The, the moments around that, it, it was actually quite terrifying. Because she had such a large energy pull, she um, went into the cubby house. We had a cubby house at the back. So they went down with her and they were talking with her and they were going back and they were back and forth from the house and constantly learning and singing her song, hearing her story first. Apparently the story was quite in-depth. She couldn't find her tribe. So they had to talk her through it and how to get there. And they finally figured out the song and they, they sang it to her and she, and off she went. Now, like I said, as this was happening, we did feel things get lighter. And then my partner and I actually started tearing up. Now, we didn't know the story. We, did, we knew nothing. We just felt a bit of a loss. And we're like, what's going on? Why am I feeling like this? This is weird. Jacob's still sleeping on the lounge. Anyway, they started looking up it's like they were waving at something like, okay, time to go. We felt a release and um, they came up the stairs. They were both crying. That was quite beautiful. Okay. So with that being released, there was a lot of emotion inside the house. Um, no, no loudness, no anything. It was just a lot of emotion and they explained to us what happened. And so then uh, the person that she brought, she said, look, can you give me a second? I need to go and check something. And she went downstairs and she was downstairs for almost a half an hour. And I'm like, what, what is, what is she doing? She was out with the cupboard. Uh, the guy had come back. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. That, wow. she, she come, she come back. Yeah, I know. She come back. She goes, he's back. He won't leave. So she said, I'm going to have to help her. So they went down and they both got rid of him. 
Now, whilst they were doing that, Jacob was on the lounge and he started coming too, but he wasn't coming too like I'm waking up from a nap. It was talking. No, 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 no. And he was saying the word no. And then his hands started gripping the lounge. And this wasn't like a leather lounge or anything. It was like a cotton lounge, like a retro lounge. Um, he started gripping it and he was in the lounge room and like he was being kind of told to go, but he didn't want to go. So he's like, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he was gripping the lounge and it's like his, his lower torso was being pulled and he was sliding off the lounge. Oh my gosh. And he was like, it was, it's exactly like if you have the image inside your head, like you think of the worst situation, this kid's like paranormal activity type of stuff. Um, gripping the lounge and being kind of shoved from this lounge. It wasn't violent shoving. It was gradual. Like he was floating, like he was being pulled off really slowly. He was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Then he started crying. Eyes not open. Saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he started gripping the lounge and everything like that. And then once his virtual, virtually his whole body was off, his just his arms, I, we had picked him up, but he was not let go, letting go of the lounge. It was like, oh, it, it was weird to the point where it was really upsetting. And I I thought to myself, do I wake him? Does he know what he's doing? And he wouldn't let go of the lounge and then eventually just kind of picked his hands up and he just stopped and then just went back to sleep. Now, he did this. We, we weren't trying to move him initially. He was just doing this. You know, he was just on the lounge and suddenly he started you know, moving this way. And then it was uh, apparent that um, the two ladies came back up and they said, yeah, he wouldn't leave. We had to force him out. I said, well, <laughs> this is what just happened here. And she's like, oh, yes, right. Um, yeah, there's there's obviously an attachment thing here. And and so, Sorry, yeah, had... that was quite... Yep. Sorry to interrupt you. So had this spirit, the old man, tried to attach yep. itself to your boy? Um, well, he couldn't, couldn't attach himself to me anymore because I wisened up to what was going on and I got rid of the cupboard. I would dare say Jacob and him formed some kind of bond. He didn't mean Jacob any harm. He just hated the kids in general. But obviously Jacob was a bit of a, um, I guess he was just there. And um, yeah, he, he'd obviously attached himself to Jacob. When he was being moved on, clearly Jacob felt that very scary moment. It was yes. like a possession. It was absolutely mortifying. That's um, a horror movie. That's just like a horror movie when it's your own child as well. Oh my god! It's it was <laughs> yeah. It was, I, he used to he's he always sees things. Um, the one that scared the crap out of me was we were driving away from the house, and this is when we were leaving the house forever. And, and when we were driving away from that house. Um, we left it forever. Um, we couldn't wait to get out of there. We told the real estate what had happened. And I asked them, I said directly, I said, can you please tell me if you have had problems in this house? And they said, no, no, nothing. And it's like, okay, well, nothing adds up. You can't just go from having all this activity. But they actually let us out of the lease. They actually freely let us go because of – now, you've got to understand that during this, there were things happening that – you know, that were quite life-threatening. My my son was standing at the top of the stairs. He just, he didn't fall. 
he was launched from the top of the stairs. I was down in the backyard. I had run and I grabbed him by his leg. It was a 12 foot drop and grabbed him by his leg. And his mum came running out because I was like, he's, he's going to hit the ground. Mm. I just got him in time. His neck just hit the ground, you know, things like that. My partner would be doing the washing and um, something would pull her hair. Um, it, so it was a lot of physical things that were happening. I mean, I was used to it in life, but to have it happen to the kids and, you know, and then to drive away and then the, um, Jacob said, Daddy, they're, they're flying next to the car. They want to come in the window. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, let's just, we just need to go. Yeah. It's, um, we've never had an incident since. I reckon the real um, estate agent would have known about the house for sure. Well, I think, I think there was definitely something that made the situation worse. I mean, Marta, my partner, she said that um, she walked into the dining room and she saw a, a dead girl on the floor and she was very dead, eyes open, but clearly dead. And it was very vivid and then it just disappeared. I think something had happened in that house many, many years ago. It was the, ho- it was the oldest house on the street. It was on Stuart, Stuart Parade in Manly, um, and there was a lot of black camps there um, back in the day. So there was a lot of um, yeah, lots of racism, lots of, I guess, if kids are being bought and sold into families, and God knows what happened. So yeah. I would dare say that the area had a sense of history, and we just happened to cop it. So, but like I said, there's always things that kind of have followed me, but not as negative as, uh, as that. And, uh, yes, that, that was kind of something that spurred research for me. And obviously, you know, as time progressed, I wanted to get back to my roots and I was having lots of feelings about, uh, you know, not just astronomy, like, you know, always was fascinated with what's in the sky and everything. I mean, what kid isn't, but, um, I didn't decide to take it seriously until about three years ago. And that's when I started the AAC. I wanted to bring forth CTEC and AAC together, AAC being the community, the Australian community, and CTEC, which is the study of extraterrestrial um, um, encounters and communications. Now, I focus on um, the effects that it has on, the phenomena has on the experiencer, um, the mental health aspect. And the reason why is because um, the kids that go through this stuff, very much similar to me, they're, they're alone until they find the confidence to tell someone. But even people my age now, 43, I know people that are 70 that are going through, you know, they've been having visitations from extraterrestrial life or spirits, whatever it be, uh, for many years. Their mental health has really been affected by it, not only because they haven't been able to talk, but the 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 aspect of the energy that goes into it. Like it, it's when you have contact, it's so stressful it literally wipes you out. It can make you sick, you know? So I really wanted to do something that was one, you know, we need to hear these people out Two, We need to at least give them um, some ideas on how they can properly protect themselves, but also have a say in what's happening. And that's why, you know, I founded the AAC. I started talking to um, experiences, um, experiences rather, and, they were seeking help and once we caught on to the C5 movement and we're thinking, okay, well, how do these protocols help people? What they do is they transfer they transfer the the part where we don't get a say in these experiences to the human initiator, like, hey, we're in charge. We are intelligent beings. 
our consciousness is second to none. Like our the power of what we could do psychogenically is ridiculous. Yeah. We are so powerful. We are perfect, um, perfectly built. I mean, the only flaw that we have is that we can't fly. <laughs> so <laughs> what? We, and you know, I did try. Remember, um, <laughs> but you, you know, we can't fly. But then you take into consideration. You know, you can do your remote viewing, and you could do your vectoring and. Um, remote viewing, um, you know, going into different locations and seeing what there is. And that's exactly what I was doing when I was seven years old. I was doing, I was remote viewing. I was looking into the next room. I was making my way down the stairs. I was making my way outside the front door. That was the pull. And I was given those gifts a long, long time ago. I just didn't know what they were. And, you know, C5, the way the protocols were set up, it really made sense to me. It um, it used a language that I myself could understand, but then I realised that there was a few aspects of C five that was very uncharted. There, there wasn't much protection around it, uh, security. Um, Stephen Greer did a really good thing with what he has done for the C five movement, mm. um, but he he failed to address um, the mental health aspect of um, extraterrestrial communication. And uh, the protection that is needed um, in order to go into this, you can't, I mean, the experiences that I have had since the, in the last three years with extraterrestrial activity for me is profound. Like I've, I have never seen so much evidence and community come together in order to research this type of phenomena. I, you know, I am com- completely convinced. Um, however, you know, there's still a lot of work to do and um, it does come at a cost, like a, 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 like I said, mental health-wise. And even um, financially, you know, I've, I've injected quite a lot of money into um, these groups um, and now, um, you know, with podcasts and even getting out there and trying to get the experiences story to get out there and um, into other people's um, you know, on Spotify or whatever, it's just, it costs me like yourself. You would, you would understand it's, mm-hmm. it's time. And I guess, you know, now at a point where we're starting to collect so much data, we have so much that we have like footage. I mean, the footage I've had to purchase multiple drop boxes to fill, to, you know, to cater for the capacity of how many sightings are sent through. It is phenomenal. And these sightings, these videos, I mean, I have only touched maybe 20% of what I'm sent. Um, But these, they're they're incredible. Um, Most of them paranormal. Um, Most of them are actual um, paranormal activity, um, which is being, I guess, mistaken for extraterrestrial contact. And then a lot of them, 70% of them are, simply stars and um, shooting stars and uh, military craft and and everything like that. But um, that, that whatever's left 15 to 20%, um, it's hardcore and it blows my mind. Um, I feel honored to have access to be watching some of the material and to be sending it away and going, okay, well let's, let's get someone on board that can really look into this. And, um, you know, coming back and them saying, hey, we do not have an answer. And that's mind-blowing. Um, Who do you get? So you've got 
military contacts or science um, so yeah, I, scientists? Well, yeah, so basically within the group, I um I yeah I'm, I in the beginning days I was really crafty about it. I made sure that when people joined the group, I made sure I knew what they did. Um, and who who they were and, and whatnot. Not in a, an investigation sort of point, but what's happened is we've now got a series of people that work within a contact union team. By contact union, I don't mean we get together and we, um, you know, we summon <laughs> summon our God. Um, no, we we certainly don't. In fact, um, you know, we have a doctor in the group. We have a a a lot of I guess a lot of light workers, but the people that don't charge. I'm talking people that actually do this for the love of doing it. Yeah. You know, not starting their own groups just to make a bit of coin or whatever it is. Um, we have regressional therapists now and yeah, geologists, we've got archaeologists and these people came into the group just watching on. It wasn't until I put my feelers out there and started making contact with, you know, I did my research and went, okay, well, I know who this person is. I know what they can do are they interested in doing more? And it's not until you ask them, then you go, wow, <laughs> this just opened up a whole new level for the team. And um, yeah, so safely say that we, you know, we have eight professionals on the team, all in which do their own thing and nothing is monetized. We can't really take money for doing this stuff because we don't have the answers ourselves and nothing we give is definitive. We just can't, you know, even even if we have, proof of someone getting thrown across the room or someone being taken what we have nothing you know is nothing that we can show anyone that's going to make them believe we could we could show some footage today i could release some footage today that people would just go that's well that's that's cgi and i could mm-hmm. drop it and it could be it could be awesome for a few people but a lot of people just go no that's cgi and it would circulate through the internet to the ends of time because no one wants to see it. However, no one knows. <laughs> I took that footage. I don't do CGI. Yeah. I don't have that equipment. I don't have those studio setups. I have a basic editing system. And But the fear of launching that, and it could completely ruin me. Um, it could completely discredit my credibility. Uh, I could put it out there, but I'll be, I'll be pigeonholed immediately. And that's... That's what we're looking at. That's what the average person is looking at when it comes to this research because as soon as you start to go mainstream, as soon as you start showing the people that can make a difference, it's stopped. It's just put in this place and gone, oh, well, that's CGI. That didn't happen. You've got no proof. There you go. Yeah. Um, we face something similar not- when um, – because you know that I'm part of the Australian Yowie research team with oh, Gary. Oh, yeah, I know. I know we- yep. So we face the similar – Similar issues, particularly with the amazing footage that, that the boys got on that trip last mm. year. Th- there's quite a few people uh, who are saying, oh, you know, that's bullshit, it's all fake, it was just the boys wearing headlamps, yes. <laughs> uh, wearing, wearing you know, <sighs> head torches, but, which oh is absolute God. rubbish. Yeah, yeah, but, but we, we, it's a similar situation. I know for a fact those, there's no way I wasn't there, but I know I was talking to them throughout the whole time they were there and the next day. Yep. And when you see their faces and you hear their voices when they got that footage, they were so excited. Um, there's no way you could fake that. No and, way. And, and it's exactly right. And, it, and you've also got to go on, you know, you think of who these people are. And as people, um, you know, as actual humans and go, okay, first of all, it's not just that this experience happened. 
it's that these guys they don't bullshit. Like this is no. this is serious stuff to them. Absolutely. Um, you know, deadly serious. They, yeah, deadly serious. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. they're passionate about what they do. They're they're not about to waste your time. It's not going to happen. It, they're not going to send researchers or the common the common people. They're not going to send them on a wild goose chase and tell a fairy tale. And I don't think people understand that. And with Gary's story and the images, and you know, talking to him about it, you're you're dead right. He's he tells it how it is. And you know what? The story doesn't change. It, it's exactly what it was. The the images are there to back it up, but no one wants, no one is ready for it. No. Like, and that's, and that's why I love, and you know what? The group's grown beyond, like, it's not a big group. We, we get rid of a lot. I think we get rid of more people than what we get in um, <laughs> because, you know, people go down the rabbit hole. But the people that go down the rabbit hole, you can sometimes tolerate them because they're open-minded enough to go down that rabbit hole. But the the issue is there's a lot of people that just, they, they don't want to hear it. And it's the same with the C5 movement, C6 movement. You know, it's, you have to focus on yourself where you go, okay, what do I need to do to create, first of all, the ideal energy to be able to do this work productively to protect myself to actually live happy, to sleep at night, etc. You know, you've really got to adjust everything about yourself and you really have to let go and, and start asking questions and set your intentions. And this is my intention. This is what I plan to do with the information that I receive in this research. And it's not until you get to that point where, you know, once you've established, okay, these are my intentions and you, you carry yourself um, walking around as this, you know, this honest person with good intentions, it's when the those experiences like Gary have has happened um, that they start presenting themselves in more um, unique ways or more thoroughly, especially with you know anything in uh, UFO related um, or UAP, whatever you want to call it these days. Usually, if I don't set an intention. Or if I don't go in going, hey, this is exactly what I want from this. It's a very selfish thing. This is exactly what I want because what my intentions are to do with this information is to do this. I have never been let down and I've always gotten something out of it. It may not be to the extent I would like, but, you know, we can't ask too much. But those times that I don't have an intention or if I'm not clear on what I want, I get nothing. Right. And in the, just mapping that out and having a look at what that looks like in writing, you know, day-to-day daily journals of, okay, I set my intention here. This is what happened. I didn't set my intention on Wednesday at eight o'clock. This is what happened. And the, you could see the patterns like, wow, this is actually, <laughs> this is evidence. This is crazy. Can you tell me or tell the listeners about some of those experiences? So with the C5 yep protocol you're getting together with a group of people you're meditating together you're setting your intention together are you playing those i know on stephen greer's because i I down downloaded it on the app that he's got he's got got a few steps of things i haven't actually there's there's two people in my town who are interested in the subject and i've just recently we're we're going to get together and 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 um have a ce5 uh, meet yeah, awesome. soon but so I haven't but I haven't gone through the whole protocol myself so I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be interested in how how you've gone and what's happened when you've gathered together with people well 
with the C5 aspect, you, you, you've got to expect a lot of nothing because up until you start relaxing and just kind of knowing or understanding that you're not really in control, that's when things start happening with C5. So anyone that's going into C5, what what you could prepare for is you're going to feel awkward the first couple of times. The tones can be very polarizing. Um, the meditation, the the synchronicity with talking and listening and the meditation, it you've almost got to get to a point where it's just you, it's just your mind, and then there's nothing. And your only intention is to simply say hello or, hey, I'm here, I'm listening. If you want to communicate, you can. And there's a whole lot of that happening. Now, some people can just get in there and because they've maybe developed consciously uh, on a level that is profoundly better or higher, some people can just get in there and just they get, they get something immediately. And I've seen it happen. Uh, myself, it took a couple of weeks. Um, so I practiced the protocols. You go into the app and you do use um, Stephen Greer's stuff. He, he set it up wonderfully. Has it evolved? Yes, it's evolved now the, the, because it's become more individualized. Now, Stephen Greer said he didn't release the app. He didn't release the tones and all this kind of stuff so people could simply use it over and over and over again. What it was was to start it, get people on track to feeling good about doing something like that, and then creating their own protocols. So every C5 group will do something different. You've got a C5 group in the UK that uses instruments. You've got one in um, in Texas that use like throat chakras and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's different in the way that they communicate. So for, for me, it was about meditation. Um, it was about silencing everything, learning to breathe, and then projecting, understanding what the sky looks like, understand, sorry, understanding what my surroundings look like, closing your eyes and simply navigating in a relaxing sense, whether that means music or tones or anything like that, just navigating, like even pretending that you're walking around the streets and walking around the block, walking downstairs. And then once you're comfortable in doing it and it doesn't feel so awkward, you know, you're monitoring your breathing, then you start going, you start projecting yourself and you start looking at the universe in a different way. You look at the moon, for example, as a location, not as the moon. Um, So you map your location to the moon and you do it and you seem to go, okay, cool. I'm going to pretend that I'm traveling to the moon. And I'll take it nice and easily because our imaginations are a wonderful thing and we can get to the moon within seconds. So we close our eyes and bang, we're on the moon. Um, You know, so we need to slow that down and we need to be able to go, okay, I want to go to the moon, but I need to map it out. What's it going to look like? Okay, so I'm going to float above the houses. Eyes are closed. I'm going to look down. This is what it's probably going to look like, the streets in detail, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I'm now going to hit the cloud line. I'm going to hit, you know, a certain, it's going to feel cold. It's going to feel um, icy cold. You know, what does the weather look like today? Taking that into consideration and then slowly going up. And eventually within 20 minutes, you're on the moon. And you've got to keep that train of thought. Now, what you've just done in that process of doing that is navigate 
from your house to the moon. And that's all you've done. However, that conscious thought has the energy to, to power <laughs> a thousand vehicles. That That's good energy. That's It's on a level that a lot of people can't do. And you haven't done anything. You haven't moved. All you're doing is opening your mind up to be able to travel in such a way and accept the fact that, okay, this is how I can project myself to the moon. I can't physically be there, but I can in an energy sense. So just like light would be shined onto um, a building, you're shining onto the moon. And that's how you've kind of got to visualize it. Now, once I started figuring that out, you you go a little bit further. You get a little bit blade and you get a little bit cocky. You start going to, you know, you know, seven sisters. You even start going to Mars. You start if you know your locations in the sky, and if you look at them and go, okay, that's where speaker is, or that's where the star speaker is, or booties, or that's where Orion's belt is. I know exactly how to get from the moon to Orion's belt, and that's the kind of um, mindset you'd need to try and get yourself into. And it all builds up. And that is a part of the meditation. Now, while you're doing this, you're just listening to the tones, you're taking in the scenery and you're just accepting what's happening and what you're feeling. Now, setting your intentions during that, you've got to be careful that you don't set them, hey, I want to meet aliens. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it would be a beautiful thing, but it doesn't work like that. It's got to be well, in fact, I can't tell anyone what it's got to be. It's got to be for you. Um, my one was always I want to link information to people on Earth. And anything you want to show me or tell me, I will I will do my best to get it out there. And that has led to some really good experiences. So C5 experience, you know, that's how we started out as a group. We did that with the C5 mod team, uh, sorry, the Australian uh, mod team, and then my admin uh, who, you know, we all worked together and we started doing these these meditations remotely. We've got Melbourne, Sydney. We had one in Texas. We have myself in Brisbane. And um, we started doing these meditations in our own home. But then we started, you know, remote viewing and also vectoring our locations from our standing point and locating, uh, sorry, and then vectoring to a specific location in the sky in the star system towards a certain star etc all our energy would be drawn there so you don't literally have to be in a group to do it however when you are in a group yes it can be a beautiful thing especially if you have the space to be able to do it but given covid and everything like that we we've been really restricted so we've had to do that so once you get your vectoring down you start doing your navigation and then you can start really setting your intention to, you know, I, I would like a sign. I want, I want to communicate. I'm here. If you have anything to show me, I'd love to see it. And it's not, it's a beautiful feeling. Try it when, until it happens. <laughs> and because when it happens, you panic. And I don't care what anyone <laughs> says, you, you panic. And I'm telling you, I panicked the first time and it, it, it blew my mind. What and um, it, it was just bright and my partner saw it as well. And we both shit ourselves. And we just, we, it was bright and then it was nothing. And it was like, well, what was that? What was that? Was that something? I don't know. But is that something? No, it was just a, it was, a, and then you start second guessing yourself because your life up until that point, it's, it's been asking questions. You know, God forbid that anything you feel is validated. You know, it's not, 
it's it's a place of Hollywood. How could there be UFOs? There's not UFOs. And you, you start to go through all this term, you know, this turmoil within yourself because you just cannot believe what you've seen. So our experience of C5 was cemented when um, we started asking to see things and we would see them. I asking for specific colours and that's exactly what I would get. Asking for movement and that's exactly what I was getting. Asking for a, a particular location to light up or to power up, whether it be a craft powering up, uh, that's exactly what I would get. And it got to that level of, you know, okay, this is happening on on point. This is getting to a point where I'm asking for something to be done. It's happening. The only thing that's not happening is I am not seeing it up in close range. So um, this is all happening up in the sky, distant. Up in the sky and distant, but also getting closer, getting closer. It, it hit a peak where it was that close that um, we were seeing things inside the house. So we had done a lot of vectoring, a lot of remote viewing, a lot of meditation. I was living and breathing it. I was in lockdown. I lived and breathed extraterrestrial life. <laughs> I just, I was obsessed, like to the point where I was coordinating groups and it was just happening. I was living and breathing it. It wasn't until then that I started becoming frustrated and my experiences, I, I felt let down. I became very selfish and because I was getting these, oh, you know, on cue, what happened is I was so focused on other people and what they were doing that I'd stop expecting things for myself, but I was after something different. What my intentions were, I felt were not being met. Like I was like, no, I want specific things to happen now like i don't want to see little lights and this that could be it could be radar sorry it could be um satellites it could be anything i want to know something profound i want to see something profound and i want to feel it it wasn't until my partner asked me one day you know what is what is it that you want you're never happy with this what is it that you want i said well all i want to do is be a link for people and i said it out loud I mean, I'd said it in my head a million times, but I said it out loud. I said, I want to be a link. I think I even hit the chair next to me. Like, I'm sick of this crap. I want to be a link. Like, if this is actually happening, I need more. Because at this stage, I'm about to stop. I've had enough. Because it, I was so emotionally drained. And I was, it was pathetic. I was actually cracking the shits with aliens. How, <laughs> how ridiculous is that? Like, I was a spoiled brat. I want, I want contact right now. And I wasn't saying it like that, but... That's what I was feeling, and I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to, to admit it. I was getting really frustrated. So I said it out loud. I was really disappointed. I was fed up, and I said, if I don't get it, I, that's it. I'm done because I can't continue like this. I'm doing so much work, and I know that's selfish, but they, they either want my help or they don't. So I said, so that's what I want to be for, for any civilization, for anyone that's listening, even if it's paranormal. I would love to be able to do more, but right now I'm not getting anything. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, but it's going to fizzle out. So I said, what I'll do is I'll go out at seven o'clock every night and um, I'll develop a routine. And so I went out at seven o'clock every night and I projected myself. I did not get a thing. I was so upset. Mm -hmm. I was getting angry. I was out there from seven till nine every night. And then the last night, the last night that I said I would be there because it was I was doing seven days only. That's it. 
seven days only between seven and nine. That's it. Anyway, I'd already told them what I wanted, uh, the colors, everything. And then um, I started my CE5 protocols. I played the tones. I played my own meditation. I meditated the way I like to meditate, um, which is what we do. You, you, you evolve your meditations and you get better at it and you, you do these things. Uh, sitting outside. Uh, sorry, no, I wasn't. I didn't even get outside yet. I was late. I didn't get out there at seven o'clock. I got out there at seven oh five, and I was so angry with myself. I'm like, you know what? Something probably happened, and I didn't see it. <laughs> and I was so disappointed with myself. Anyway, so I stood out there. I laid on a chair. I think I even broke the leg. I was that. I was that intent. And then about five to nine, I was ready to stop. My phone was going dead. I, I'd run out of music. I'd, I'd stop, you know, I didn't want to record. I said, I, I said out loud, I don't even want to record. I don't want picture evidence. I just want to see what I've asked for. And, um, my intentions were pure. If they could see that and it's on them. <laughs> and that's my attitude at, at the time. Anyway, so about five to nine, I knew I was having to head up soon. And I knew my partner was in the house because, when I did eventually come up, she was like, oh, how'd you go? And she knew what it meant if it didn't go well. And, um, you know, because I would just be bummed and I'd be really disappointed. And it would have meant, you know, the last two years were were kind of in void. Anyway, so five to nine, roughly, um, maybe even closer to nine o'clock, I sat there. I put my head down. I said, I'm not even going to look. I'm just going to do this. If I feel like I need to look, I'll look. I sat there. Anyway. I drifted off. I'm not talking asleep. I just fell into a very deep state. I no longer heard the pool creepy crawly. It just all stopped. It was still going. I felt the vibration and I couldn't hear people in um, other houses. I couldn't, I just blacked everything out. It's like everything just stopped and it all went dull like a, and just kind of slowed down. And I felt I'm going to keep my head in my lap. I'm not interested in really looking up. I don't feel like I want to. And then I felt a a pull on my shoulder, not physically, just like a, a pull, like a not even a breeze. It was like a warm a warm pull to move my shoulder back. And it kind of felt really warm, just on that one part of my shoulder. And then within a couple of seconds, uh, I felt it on my other shoulder. And I just kept my head still and thought, all right, well, I even questioned if my partner, Marta, had come out. And that's how, that's kind of how it felt. I knew that nothing was touching me, but I knew something was watching me. And it just felt odd. But I wasn't scared. So I just kind of went into myself and thought, okay, well, what am I feeling now? Is this the message that they're going to give me? It's not what I asked for, but I felt a huge amount uh, of warmth. Anyway, that was stagnant. It was just pretty much exactly what it was. It stayed warm. It felt good. It felt kind. Nothing, nothing really happened. But then I got this huge, overwhelming feeling to look up. Look up. Now's the time to look up. It was past nine o'clock at this stage, I believe, because I'd been there. It felt like I'd been there for a while. I, everything came to the creepy crawly. I could hear that again. 
So everything went wood, like a, a noise, like I was under under the water and then I put my head up. That's what it sounds like. Uh, it came up, um, the noise started up. I heard and saw everything around me. I looked up and everything that I had asked for in my int intentions the week before in my conversation um, had happened. I asked for a specific light, a specific speed, and the only lights that I wanted to see was blue, red, and orange. And that's exactly what I got. And it was about the size of maybe a small plane. It was solid. It was blinding bright, not blinding as in shining on the ground. It wasn't that close, but it was, I'm talking, my eyes needed to refocus on it, but it was large enough to see. I even questioned if it was a drone. It wasn't until I had quickly cottoned on like, wow, it's exactly the color I want. And then it changed into the colors. And then I had asked it, for it to stop. I wanted to show my partner. And it did. And I could not believe it. And my heart sank. I literally screamed like a little bitch. Like I was like, yeah. And, <laughs> and it just came. It, it came. I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. I, oh, sorry. I just, but I did. I squealed. And I was so ecstatic that I called my partner out and I was like, come on, have a look, come on, have a look. And, you know, she came running out. She's like, what's wrong? She thought I was getting murdered or something. And I was just excited. I'd reverted back to my seven-year-old self or whatever it was. And I was literally not commanding, but I was asking for movement and for color. And it was happening. And I, I brought my partner down. I gave her... Um, uh, I said, look, that's what I'm focusing on. Have a look at this. And, you know, it was going through the motions. And we were just both in awe of what was happening and what was being communicated. And then um, I said, thank you. And I, I said, thank you so much for the confirmation. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I won't question it again. Hmm. And it was stationary for about three minutes. And then I said, okay, when you leave, can you turn red? And it powered up, a brig by, like a bright orange. And then it went a pale red. And then it just gone. Wow. Um, and like it was enough for me to just look at my partner and look around and go, I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> I've done exactly what I wanted. What, what now? Do I, what do I do now? <laughs> and there's, there's, it's no longer a question for me. I, I don't feel the stress anymore. I don't feel the stress of is it is it like are is is craft wheel are we are we seeing these things, and it just confirmed it for me and I'm like so this is real, how am I going to tell everyone this? But the the thing that kept coming back to me is you're not supposed to tell everyone. People are supposed to find you. You asked to be a link, so you are that link, and so if people come to you, you tell them what you know, and then they'll find their own way. Nothing in your lifetime is going to nothing in your lifetime. You're not going to change the world, but you are a link for other people to broaden, um, you know, this research and to really start accepting that this is a thing it's, you've got to understand. And the message that was given to me during that moment, and it'll always stand out to me because it was said in human terms. Cause I was very frustrated. Like I cannot understand what I'm seeing. I cannot understand these 
these these symbols and and this is months and months of research um going into the years i was seeing things in bushes my partner was seeing things and it was just we don't want that anymore we want explicit words and the message that came forth was you know 100 and, um i think it was 140 billion light years away there's someone doing exactly what you're doing but they can't reach you either and i just i all that vectoring and all that mapping of the universe i literally went back to my roots and went, okay, so if I'm here and 140 billion light years away, there's someone else doing this, but they can't reach me and I can't reach them. But we want, we know that it's happening. And that was enough for me to go. So what's in between that? And the in-between is obviously what we're seeing. It's going to take a long time for that all to merge together and to make sense. But, you know, um, yeah, it, it just made perfect sense to me. It, 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 it's, it's non-scientific. It, it's as scientific as knowing your numbers that 140 billion light years away, you know, there are, there's, an, there's a system of stars that we, we haven't even seen. We haven't even gone near. We'll never touch them probably. And um, the pathway there is obviously through the consciousness. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. So that was my, obviously my entry in a nutshell into C5 and what what confirmed it for me. And now I'm just inundated with people that, you know, have experiences, but, you know, it's a little bit, softened at the moment because you know covid really really took a hold of people's conscious and uh consciousness and their energy and they started converting it into you know a lot of negative state of thinking and um this is why stephen greer you know he's you know come out often and said guys i've done what i can like there's nothing for me to do i've told you what i know now it's time for me to focus on free energy and that I've told you what I know it is working, do what you will with it. And that's why everything's in limbo at the moment. There's where people are waiting for this, the next big thing to come along, but it's already happened. We've been given the tools. It's now in manuals. It's now being used by professionals. You know, we're talking police officers. We're talking, you know, government people that are doing the c5 protocols now it's not a it's not a cult it's not a thing it's a a literal you're literally going outside and deep breathing and that's all it takes for the human consciousness to tap into uh, a higher frequency i mean who would have thought 
hopefully once this COVID thing's happened, you know, everyone starts settling down, people start realising that disclosure happened a long time ago. It, it happened last year. Yes. Um, we were given evidence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the United we States evidence. government has, has um, admitted and released or declassified certain files. So they're... they're they did. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they told it, we still won't listen. <laughs> No, <laughs> we still weren't. No, but we so many people listen. kind of ignored that, didn't they? It was like, oh, yeah, we're too, yeah, we're too busy focused on COVID. It, it it absolutely blows my mind, and it's like, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to do what like like yourself, Sarah. Like what you're doing, you're proactively there. You're in the research. We're not asking everyone to do that. We're not asking people to drop their lives. We're simply saying, hey, you've just been told that there is an advanced civilization or there's free energy either way it doesn't matter whether it's free energy or um anti-gravity whatever it may be any any type of propulsion system that has changed the face of the planet are you not interested yes yes are you not are you do you not is there some is there something that you do do you not care is it because it won't affect you for the rest of your life do you care yeah i think it's probably more it's too big to contemplate, and we've oh, is, Hollywoodized yeah. the whole subject of yep. aliens and UFOs, and and so we've we've made it so Hollywood and so scary movie stuff that we're all ter- mm. terrified. So we'd rather yeah. not think about it. It's a little bit like the Bigfoot Yowie situation, as well as the paranormal field as well. Yeah, we've 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 created movies that that depict these things in such horrific, scary terms that you, you, most people, the average person can't think about that without thinking, oh, that's so scary, it's got to be make-believe. I don't really even want to think about it being real. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good point. And, I mean, look, you know, you've got to be able to tell fact from fiction. I guess, obviously, you know, the, the movie market is very saturated, but, you look at you look at Steven Spielberg and James Cameron and everything like that. Like they have been telling us about this since the eighties. Mm. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy that says, "Oh well," uh, sorry, conspiracy uh, conspiracists that say, "Oh well," you know, it's just Hollywood's way of fluffing over. I don't think so. I think that we as humans, we're very creative. We do have imaginations. It's a powerful thing. And um, you know, currency. It doesn't matter whether you're extraterrestrial. Um, it doesn't matter if you're you know, you know currency. Um, you, we operate in the way that um, you know makes makes us work and run and and all that kind of stuff. So movies, you know, it's a money maker, and we got creative and we create horror and we do this and we want to scare and we want to go through all these emotions in movies. And there's no conspiracy in that. However, up until the last decade. You know, there's been a huge emphasis on when movies are created. They, you know, they they have a narrative that is very, I don't know. It's always making the extraterrestrials the antagonists. It's only over the last ten years that the tables have turned and the humans are the, you know, the the pieces of crap that are um, doing the wrong thing, whether it be, <laughs> you know, ruining the world and movies like Prometheus and. Um, uh, 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 even contact and um, you know these movies that are popping up now. I'd even go as far as saying signs um, with Mel Gibson. Even you know they they started verging on. Yes, it was a very hostile movie, but 
it was getting better in relation to what we were seeing, like the aliens themselves, as they were being depicted, you know, they become a little bit more realistic and um, the narrative has slowly shifted. I think, and despite what a lot of people may think or say, you know, they want disclosure, they want this, they want to know, they want to, I think that we know so much and I think that we know far more than what any generations have. We've been given the information. The government are actually telling us a lot more than what we used to get. You know, there's a lot of programs and um, intelligent agencies. By intelligent, I don't mean smart. I mean, they're just called that. Um, <laughs> uh, they, you know, they, they, they're an entity by themselves. The government, the people in power, let's talk, <laughs> our Australian, Scott Murray, he doesn't know anything. They're not just because they're in charge of a position. Uh, uh, sorry, they're in a position of being in charge rather. Um, doesn't mean to say they know everything. You know, we're all bosses in some sense. You know, we're all in charge of something, and we do something. And whether that be running the house, or whether that be at home, or whether that be you know at a job, we're all doing something to earn money. Whether it be the president, or you know, American president, or Russian president, it doesn't matter. They're just doing their job. And they're doing it, they're following procedures and policies and guidelines that, that they're down to a T and they know their job, they're getting paid well to do it, etc. Their job is not to seek out extraterrestrial life and make contact. That's not their job. And a lot of a lot of people that want disclosure and, you know, that have completely missed it, you know, they're expecting these people to give them all these answers and they're demanding it. It's like, well, hold on. This is not their job. This is not their job. Their job is to run the world. Their job is to run things so that there is not, you know, there, there's no um, systematic errors in, in the way that we're running as a, I guess, a civilization that can be organized and structured. You know, so these answers that people are expecting, obviously, they're going to fear mongering. Okay, well, they're holding answers from us when really they don't know anything. Yeah. Um, there's a couple, of, there's a handful of people that do. So we, we go to the movies and we start p- pulling them apart. This is why I call the Australian community the Australian community. I got so sick and tired of people depicting and um, making the aliens the antagonists. And mm. I actually had a conversation with someone who was on Stephen Greer's security team three years ago. No, sorry, two years ago. Well, uh, no, no, it was close. It's three years now um, when I just started out. And he asked me, he said, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, what? And he goes, what's your... Look at your, you called your CE5 group. Now, at that stage, we were just the CE5 group. I had 30 members. And he he said, oh, I'm happy to talk to you, mate, but you need to change your name. I said, what? Why? He goes, alien? Australian? Oh, you can't call them that. <laughs> I'm like, can't call them what? He goes, you can't call alien aliens. I said, you can't call aliens well, aliens. Call- <laughs> yeah, you can't call aliens. Okay. I said, have a listen to you, mate. Like, have a listen to yourself. I said, what What would you like to call a civilization that you haven't even met? What would you like to call them? Oh, just call them, you know, like extraterrestrial. I said, well, what if they don't like that name? <laughs> and he goes, well, that's what they are in human terms. I said, well, they're in human terms, they're alien. I said, there are illegal aliens. There are aliens on Earth. There are, the alien can be used in very many. I said, you're just thinking about aliens the movie and um spreading fear 
that's what you're on about. I said, my goal is to simply bring it into the household as a well-used name. Like, hey, they're talking about aliens tonight on the TV, like actual aliens, not not um, exomorphs that whose heads who have heads within their heads and they eat people's faces. <laughs> You know, like actual aliens, like real aliens, you know, like the ones that researchers actually, you know, spend their life researching, not movies. We're not bloggers. We're, we're people that are looking for information. So that really put the nail in the coffin for me. And I'm like, you know what? I will call it the Australian community. It will have the word alien in it. And I know for a fact through email correspondence that um, even Stephen Gray, he does not have a problem with it. And I was very specific early on in getting approval because I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to upset anyone here. And um, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big deal. And in fact, I was told to stick to my guns and um, create our own narrative. What works for America doesn't work for Australia. If Americans want to be scared of the word alien, that's fine. Australian, we, we say it every day and you know, it's that's kind of why I stuck to it, and I realised then that you know the narrative and the discussions around extraterrestrial life and alien life and everything like that, it really misunderstood. So, do you but think as, they're as, all as, benevolent, or have we got some malevolent uh, visitors as well? Because I I uh, ask you that because I know people talk people talk about abduction experiences as some mm. some being terrifying and others not and and so and i've heard yep. that sometimes it's for their own nefarious purposes and sometimes it's, yep. it's it's not so what do you what's your take on that we could kind of summarize um benevolent and malevolent and go into that discussion about what's right and wrong and how to deal with things but i mean we're human look what we do to our own kind um yeah. but look what we also do to our furry friends you know mm. our dogs and cats and rabbits and and all the things that we've done over 200 years in australia um whether it be slaughtering i know that's a that's going way off topic but at the end of the day you know malevolent benevolent we're an intelligent species we're incredibly whoever thought that we were going to encounter anything that has no malice or that doesn't have emotion is um or that is subjectively operating was is terribly i guess i don't know maybe they're just they're just so far up themselves that they haven't really looked at how life works Hmm. so you know biochemistry of it all it's basically there's no chance in hell that you are always going to encounter a happy dog there's no chance in hell that you're always going to encounter a happy human there's no and yeah the list goes on you can go through every single species on earth, you know, you're always going to have a sense of kindness and there's going to be ones that are a little bit more angry. In my research, I have had lots of positive experiences and there is only one negative experience that I can speak of for myself, but I know that there are other people that have had negative experiences. Negative experiences, um, sorry, experience for me was performing what I thought would have been quite fun going through the CE6 operations. And that was facilitated by a, not a researcher, just an experiencer who started the CE6 movement, let's say. And his name is Mark Sims. And I'm probably going to get a lot of um, people that don't like me bringing up his name because they're either 
devout, devout followers or they're not. But he made a, he made a mistake two years ago. He and I'll, and I'll tell him this to his face. I try to tell him to his face. I try to message him and tell him how silly it was for what he did. He did a global meditation, and um, I would still like to talk to him. He did a global meditation and CE6, and he told the the world, and it's still out there, on how to summon, per, per se, a particular being. Now, the difference between Dr. Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer, and people that do, you know, the extension works and, and they just go into this blindly, they don't understand what can pop up and who can come through. What I was met with, and it wasn't just me, it was the people that were here with me, what we were met with was far from kind. It, was, um, it wasn't nice at all. It was a very negative experience, and um, I shut it down as soon as I realised what was happening. What, what, and, so what happened? How, can you go into that um, in a bit of detail? Well, I started seeing images. Uh, uh, you know, the meditation was quite intense, and it went for about oh, three hours. And I started seeing things. Um, it started off with blue lights, and then I started seeing star systems. And I realized that it was happening because oh, it was actually happening because my partner, who was seated probably three meters away from me, we started communicating about what we were seeing. And she's like, I'm seeing the same thing. And we started seeing solar, um, solar systems, map systems, blue lights, mountains, and it started becoming familiar. And then suddenly we were greeted with, I was, first of all, I was greeted by greeted. I mean, I was faced with a huge amount of force, like, like some, without someone doing it, someone literally standing in front of your face going, Hey, I'm here. And never knowing that person, that's how polarizing it was. But it was, uh, it just didn't feel right it felt like I was opening myself up to something, but now little did I know that my partner was going through the same thing. However, she was trusting what I'm saying. And I was telling her, oh yeah, give it a go. You can you know, do this as well. Let me know how you go. And she got the full experience. I probably should have said, oh, look, in fact, this doesn't feel right. Let's stop doing it. And um, yeah, she actually saw the being and she knew nothing about the research. She knew nothing about what we were doing. She just said, I'll join you. So she knew nothing about the story and what we were trying to summon, etc. By summon, I don't mean like a um, a demon or anything like that. I'm just talking about what we're trying to project mm -hmm. project toward and who we're speaking to. Yeah, and what, so which, she ended what, up. What was the being that she saw? Okay, so he's no. I've got to make sure I pronounce it properly because again, I'll be um, in trouble. <laughs> I will. I will. Okay, because there's like I said, there's people that just do this. And, um, okay, give me one second. I want to get his name right. Tejba. It was Tejba. It's not, um, I used to call it um, uh, Tejiba, and I was corrected one day, and I really don't want to get it wrong ever again. So, basically, in 2012, he had an experience. Now, this experience, this experience was directly after a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Dr. Stephen Greer. And... Mark Sims was an extreme. He's an he's an extremely intelligent person, but he's also very wealthy. He comes from a wealthy life. Um, he admittedly says that he he doesn't have the 
you know, the problems of an everyday person um, that struggles. He has admitted this himself. He he came face to face with the contact experience, and he calls um, Tejba. And to summon Tejba to get in contact with Tejba, you do a certain amount of ritual, and it's it's pretty profound. It's quite exhausting, but it's through the consciousness and etc. Now, the Tejba is from uh, a specific location on Earth, and I, uh, to do with the Venezuelan community. We're talking ancient times, and the uh the beings look um i i started seeing rock i saw a rock and that's all i could that's all i could focus on and my partner whilst i didn't want to interrupt her she was met face to face with this being who i now believe to be tejba the being was very um large huge head overwhelmingly large um deep dark um no English spoken, nothing, nothing like that, but just very uh, polarizing, confronting um, being that we knew nothing about. We know we don't know the intentions of Tejba. We don't know the intentions of this civilization, who they are, where they're from, and where they are now. We know that they were on Earth, and that's all we knew about them. I did the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing in getting my partner to even do this meditation because I myself didn't really understand it. It was a very, very silly thing for me to do. It's like picking up a Ouija board and expecting, you know, positive contact all the time. You're not going to get it, Mm. you know. So we went into that blindly and it was was then that, you know, I said, I asked her what she saw. She drew for me what she saw. I I didn't want to give her any hints. She told me the location and she told me what it looked like and um, its characteristics and what she, where she felt it was from and everything like that. And what she'd done is she drew it. She told me it. And then I explained to her, okay, well, you just you just communicated with an extraterrestrial being called Tejba. This is where he's from. This is what he looks like. If you go into actually, if you go into uh, Venezuelan um, um, ancient, um, one of the first pictures that should come up would be uh, a figure, and they have very large heads. A lot of people think, oh yeah, no, these were human. No, they weren't human. They were actual. Um, beings and these this is who these people are these beings are yeah and that's who she came face to face with and when I told her the story of Mark Simpson who he spoke to who he speaks to and who he um, was trying to communicate with she's like oh my god well I didn't know anything about that yeah and and that's that's the kind of contact now we we didn't go in with any intentions we didn't know the intentions of any being and I said to Mark I messaged him and I said this is what my partner saw he spoke to he he actually messaged me back and i'm going to i'm going to pull this message up right now and don't get me wrong i have a lot of respect for mark sims he is a i can clearly see his intentions are pure but you know if you're going to guide people into something you've got to have a pretty good idea of what you're doing okay so he communicated with me and this is his words Okay, cheers, Mark. Um, are you? Are you? Um, is this your profile? Is this moderated? I want to share with you something that just happened um, over the last few days. A um, bit of an eye opener. This is what we saw. A very hardened face. I showed him this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I also showed him another being, which I'll send you a photo of right now, Sarah. Okay. That's the. That's what she saw, and this is her drawing. 
Okay, this was without having any information or anything like that. And then she went into details. Yeah, um, so I got a message back from Mark. He said, hi, Damien, this is Mark. I said, oh, excellent, Mark, nice to meet you. Um, based in Australia, et cetera. I told him what I do. And he said, wonderful, um, going live soon. Um, I said, no problem, et cetera, et cetera. And then I started addressing, you know, mate, what's your goal for the C6 community? Because, you know, this has gone in, it's a bit blind going in here. We've just made contact with this being and this is what my partner saw and, you know, she knows nothing about this stuff and we don't even know what these beings want. And he said, sorry, I missed your message um, March 5th, asking what my goal is for CE6 community in a nutshell is to, is to prepare family for, for global contact and facilitating the creation of a global citizens disclosure movement and establishing regular events for the purpose of initiating contact. Um, the harmonic convergence, this is how I'm doing it, et cetera, et cetera. And my next message was, mate, that's fine. I'm glad you're doing that. Who are we communicating with? And he wouldn't answer. And I said, that's fine. I appreciate you explaining it. Can you please, um, what's your intention though? What, yeah. What's the intentions of the other beings? No, nothing. Just started sending me, you know, different, different, um, uh, sorry, marketing stuff. Anyway, then he, then he got back to me and said, Hey, Damien, I recently saw an amazing still posted in the AAC, the Australian community. I'm writing an op-ed that's submitting to the Los Angeles Times. One of the big points we are making is that UAPs do not represent a threat, especially since they've been seen on a daily basis for two years, often on the Virginia Beach coastline. Uh, we are pointing out these objects are being encountered on a daily basis over a two-year period. It is unlikely that they are a threat. The photos you posted, if authentic, suggest that the intelligence controlling the cra crafts are very playful. And here's, here's where I'd, um, and then he said, I'd like to include a few photos from the Australian community. Um, now, this is, this is the problem here. And this is, this is why we've got to be careful. And like I said, you know, I'm sure, I hope his intentions are well. Um, but you cannot go from one, creating a, a convergence of people um, summoning, I keep saying that I shouldn't, um, you know, projecting to this particular being and get, letting people go blindly into that, contacting an alien race, uh, a, a different race um, that we know nothing about, and then start preparing documents for the government and trying to prove people saying that these are very compelling photos. Um, it, it leads us to believe that aliens are very playful. It's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mark, you have just told the world that you are in contact regularly with an extraterrestrial being called Tejba. So you already know these things. You know what's going on. So either you yourself have had a negative experience or you're no longer in contact with this being because or whatever your intention, or you're, you know, you're holding something away. I then, I took it to my team. I got back to Mark and I said, look, these are my concerns. You've gone into this very blindly. Um, you haven't really done the research. You've had a feeling, you've had a gut feeling, you've had contact and you've gone with that. You've set up this huge human initiated experience, which you've ingest, uh, in, in, um, invested thousands upon thousands of dollars into because it was, it was global. It was a quite a significant event. You, now he, he, he's just jumped ship and suddenly he doesn't know anything. And I said, it, it, there's not enough answers here. People are now practicing your methods and you've, you've just dropped them. 
you, you, you're no longer giving them any more information. What, what's the what's the fallout here? Hmm. And this is it's terrifying because it's like, well, hold on, this is not what we do. Okay, there needs to be protection in place. Um, there needs to be guidelines. You cannot simply do that, drop a bombshell, and then just walk away from it. That's the difference between people that come in and out of this research, drop a bomb, and simply walk away from it and don't worry about it anymore. Stephen Greer did his best. He he was he was doing it for a very long time. It's only now that he's you know stepped away from the UFO aspects of things and is focusing on you know military and and anti gravity. You know, just disclosure in that sense. So is he working with Bob know, Lazar? Is... Or that is Bob Lazar. Wasn't he the guy who? Uh, yeah, Lazar. So Lazar just did his um, that that new documentary. You know, yeah. that's out now, and that's opened up another can of worms about what really happened in Area Fifty One and everything like that. Stephen. So he, from what I understand, I'm talking to a gentleman called Shannon Lee. Um, you might know Shannon Lee from his witness testimony with Greer back in 2020, 2020 end of two thousand twenty. And he gave his marinas, uh, Mar- 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 Marianas, what do you call it? Trench. Um, the Mariana Trench. Witness- yep. Thank you, yes. Um, he gave his witness testimony. In fact, Greer threw him under the bus. And that didn't go too well, actually. So I'm talking to Shannon Lee. I actually spoke to him the other night in relation to what Greer is doing now. So what Greer did was he wrapped up his CE5 initiative. By wrapped up, I mean just stopped doing it. Um, he left it with Demi Lovato, which we all know has now released her own doco series of contact uh, on a consciousness level. And Stephen Greer, the last time I heard was he was sitting at a dinner table with Shannon Lee and his production team. And he turned around and said to Shannon Lee, after this witness testimony comes out, I don't think I don't think I'll be here. And Shannon asked him, well, where will you be? And he said, I don't I think I think I'll be killed because the information that's coming out. It's, you know, that was very scary for Shannon. He t- when he was telling me these things, I'm like, oh, man, that's serious. I I always fact check. So I always go a little bit deeper into it because I, I don't want to be lied to. So I actually emailed Stephen Greer's wife, Emily Greer, who's a very humble person. And, yeah, I was, yeah, she emailed back and confirmed a lot of the things that um, Shannon was saying. The most recent contact I've had with Greer was his management team, his online management team, who have asked that I email specific documents regarding Shannon Lee to the Disclosure Movement um, email address so that Stephen himself can look over them. That's that's pretty much all I know that's happening. I don't know the location. I don't know what he's doing now. I know there's no more briefings coming up. I know that uh, there's a there's a new kid on the block who, in relation to Disclosure, Tom DeLong is backtracking a lot of what his research is. If you go onto one of his most latest posts on Instagram, you'll see that Tom DeLong is literally putting information out there that was suppressed for a long time, photos and things like that. He's literally not giving any context into, as into why. He's just saying, oh, by the way, here it is. And he's just dropping. So, you know, you, you mentioned Bob Lazar before, and it's very similar. You've got your whistleblowers, your Bob Lazar, Buzz Aldrin, you've got Shannon Lee, even his witness testimony, um, Emery Smith, uh, Stephen Greer. The list goes on. There is a pattern of a cycle in which things go. They come out, they they go hard, they get on Gaia, they, they say these things, and they go to shit. 
And the reason why they go to shit is they're, they're physically and emotionally exhausted. It is exhausting. The ufology community, you know, they don't give back. They don't give back. They're, there's no one supporting one another. Everyone's doing their own thing. You know, Damien Knott, Damien John Knott, one of the biggest ufologists in Australia who has the most significant collection of UFO data in the world. But, that, you know, the government, they won't, they won't, they won't chat with him. You know, he knows too much. He's not stupid. Would you think we've had craft crash land here? Have we got them? Because I know that's what Bob Lazar said he was working on in the United States for our listeners who mm. might not know the story. Yeah. Do you think we've had something similar happen here in Australia? Something happened. There was a, there was a transaction between the Australian government and uh, not, I'm not even going to say the Australian government. I don't exactly understand who it was with. There was a, oh, yes. there was Pine a deal. Down. Yeah. yeah. Um, Americans, they purchased a bit of land and unbeknownst to them that it wasn't, it wasn't Australia's land to sell. And we sold it um, for a very small price on the condition that our scientists were able to work with American scientists. So what it was, there was about 20% American scientists and um, the rest, you know, 70 to 80%, 80% Australian scientists. And we're talking, you know, chemists and, and all kinds of, all, all kinds of um, skilled people that were working on site at Pine Gap. And the reason why they were doing that is because we're talking about sacred ground. We're talking about uh, a place in Australia that was sacred and that received a lot of activity. And the Indigenous people, because they were not consulted about the purchase of this land, it's only just been given back um, in relation, or there's a certain part of it that hasn't, but a lot of it. And there was no request for um, working with the Indigenous community or anything like that. They just went in, they built the structures, and they built over a sacred land where they knew that they were receiving a lot of contact. There were signals coming to Pine Gap, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s, 70s. And, you know, it wasn't until mid-1995 when people started hearing about Pine Gap going, hold on, this place exists? You know, when did this happen? It's because it was a wheel and deal. There was a lot of activity and there was a breach. There was a breach in information. The people that were being communicated with told let's let's call them white australia mm-hmm. okay um you know it gave information to white australians white australians then come in and they took ownership of that land right they thought that they were going to have the same type of communication with these extraterrestrial beings and the lights and the, everything that they were seeing because they were on this land little did they know that the treaty that was already declared and signed and agreed upon with indigenous communities and extraterrestrial beings, that was between them. So Americans had shipped their equipment and all this stuff to Australia, waiting for all these signals because all this, all this stuff was happening previously. It stopped. And that was Australia's big mistake. They sold, they sold out um, and they took the land and therefore the, um, you know, the partnership between the indigenous community and uh, any any beings that were being communicated with had stopped. And the indigenous community thought, all right, well, if you're going to kick us out and you're going to take over this land, we are not, we are not guinea pigs here. We're not doing this. And there you have your Pine Gap, your Area 51. It wasn't that crashes happened there. It was that multiple sightings plus 
um, information was being streamlined, if you could say, um, to that specific spot. But it was being given to the Indigenous community is what I'm led to believe. And people have gone to Pine Gap expecting to get an experience when it's very seldom that it happens. The Americans left. It's now abandoned. Um, there's, there's, there's a facility there, but it's mostly um, local you know, researchers just going there and doing their thing. So in the context of everything, there, there's a lot of um, Indigenous communities around there. They will tell you that ETs are real. Um, they will say, you know, from the late 1980s that there's no question about their existence. And unfortunately, just like um, the deals, the wheels and deals that happen on Earth with land and everything like that and, you know, business deals and that, you know, the unfortunately, Australia was sitting on a gold mine in contact but because we didn't acknowledge our indigenous elders and didn't acknowledge the community we forfeited and we sold one of the uh, the greatest sacred sites of in australia right. uh, where we were getting all our research they completely ruined it and yeah we've lost it so um you know that that's just i guess a part of history that no one really looks into but there's a lot there's a lot on the internet there's um you know um, there's still dealings with you know America, the united states still own that land um, oh, they really? got i mean they yeah absolutely they've got oh. three bases in australia that they own that they should know it wasn't australia's to sell in the first place you know i don't want to make this obviously about what is an ours and that but you know as far as crashes go i would dare say that in our 200 and something years of being in australia on this land where before it was just our Indigenous peoples. I would say that we are very young in our research. I don't think until we give our land um, back to the Indigenous community and things are returned to the way it was, I don't think we're going to have a level of contact that we ever want. You know, that's what makes this C5 thing so, you know, beautiful as well, that we don't, the C5 movement doesn't just go out there and blazingly do whatever the hell we want. You know, we don't just go out there and shine lasers into the sky and expect contact. We literally get on ground level. Um, by ground level, I mean we don't just look up in the sky. We look in our own backyards as well. Um, and that means talking to our Indigenous elders. You know, that means talking to the, um, uh, the custodians of the land, making sure that we have permission. Without that permission, without that permission, you are completely undermining the original, any original agreement. So you've really, when you go and see, well, you've really got to have an understanding of, okay, what are you allowed to do? You know, is there anyone Indigenous in your area that can give you a bit of information? Have you reached out? Have you, you know, um, acknowledged the land and what you're, you know, without that acknowledgement, you're going to have limited contact with anything. And, um, you know, so that's, I guess, something to consider. So yeah. as far as crashing on Australian soil, there is signs of extraterrestrial life here, and I um, I'm happy to send you those uh, images that I've got. Yeah, I'd um, like to see them. Um, yeah. I mean, but they're predominantly they're only accurate because the indigenous community have have you know it's their work and it's their correspondence, it's their story. They drew what they saw, they drew what they see, they drew what they ate, they drew what they. Um, how they lived, how they treated their children, how they treated their wives. They drew what they saw and how they lived, and and they they drew extraterrestrials as well. From who I've discussed with in relation to indigenous the indigenous community, um, they're very reluctant to give anyone information because of what we've done with it. 
So the way forward is definitely to acknowledge them and making sure that they're in on everything that we do. Definitely try and get permission with any any CE5 work you do, even if you are renting or owning the house that you're in. Understand the rules of the land. Understand that you know those that were there before you saw a lot more than what you're about to see. They didn't just rock up and say, "Hey, we want to see lights in the sky." They they you know they played music. They they were at one with the earth. They did things honorably. They didn't make a profit. They they literally lived their life. So, you know, that's obviously a, a different kind of uh, rabbit hole, but Australia has a profound amount of extraterrestrial activity. And um, Are there particular hotspots in the country or is it just everywhere? The most – the most we get a lot of information out of, um, uh, out of Sydney. I don't know. It's a, it's a very built-up area. I know it's hectic at the moment, you know, one of the largest cities. Um, anywhere in Sydney – you know, is very, yeah, um, you would think it would be like, you know, in the Northern Territory or Humpty Doo or something like that, but no, it's in these built-up areas where it's almost like the cities are being built on top of something and um, it's always it's always in heavily congested areas. From my perspective, the busiest hotspot in Australia, oh, God, it's hard to, hard to choose. There's more... Because we are such a new country um, and we are such an industrial, um, well-advanced civilization, I would dare say we are higher in our um, – uh, we are higher – we have a higher volume of paranormal activity going on in on Australian soil. But then you've got – you know, we're not a very large population. We're quite small in comparison to other countries. You know, we only use some of our land. So, yeah, the only place that I've really wanted to go to would be the, the Westall High School, the, uh-huh, the high yes, school. Yes. Um, yeah, and the, the, the Westall incident in general, you know, Melbourne has a rich history, a lot, of, a lot of activity back in the day, you know. So that would be somewhere that I know people are interested in going and speaking to people in those areas. And then you've got Dunny Doo, a place called Dunny Doo. And Damien John Knott's probably going to kill me for saying that out loud, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, because Damien Knott's there, that's why there's a lot of activity, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Da- da- he's been in contact with extraterrestrial craft for a very long time. And, um, right. uh, yeah, he seems to attract them. You know, you guys can watch Australian Skies and you could see his oh, journey. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's profound, it's um, confusing. And again, you know, you know, the mental health aspect, um, its effect on human, you know, all this contact, it has, has a profound effect. There's a high level of abduction story telling in uh, Australia. We have a high level of people saying that they are being abducted by um, small greys. And their their stories are lining up. Their their markings are lining up. They're getting the same kind of uh, injuries. Their suppressed minds, um, uh, so suppressed thoughts. Sorry, they're having a lot of um, regression done. And yeah, I've got two cases that we're working on at the moment, and um, opposite sides of the country that are literally identical. I'm even talking like timeline. So, so what happened? Can you do you want to can you summarize briefly what happened? Obviously, can't give names, but um, no, no, no. yeah, I, the, one of the one of the I will be hopefully catching up with a person um, who I know that doesn't mind being named, um, Leanne, 
her story is quite frowned. So basically goes through goes through the, the whole process of feeling sick, feeling nauseous, waking up, feeling that something has happened, um, having bruises, lower back, lower abdominal area, markings on uh, specific areas on the body, usually in bruise form, premonitions um, in the days leading up to it. We're also talking about, um, you know, uh, miscarriages and things like that as well. Oh, so it's dear. quite a sensitive subject. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But then you've got, you know, people like I'm talking to Jane Pooley, um, which you can research as well now. Yes, um, her name is, is very familiar. I've heard okay. her story, I believe. Yeah. And it's a, it's an incredible story, but um, I'm, I'm, you know, I am an advocate for people that come forward and then get treated a certain way. Jane Cooley put her life on the line and, you know, she's told her story to the mainstream and uh, to uh, the network that she did. Um, a quick Google search will see it. They treated her yeah. terribly. Um, it's not surprising. And, um, no, Sadly, it was. It, not surprising. It, it is. Um, you know, she was very honest with them. You know, it, it very heartbreaking the way they treated her. So Jane Pooley is another one that um, her story is profound and she has nothing to gain from it. Um, she wrote a book as well called Humalian. And, um, you know, yeah, she has, you know, she come out and proud and say, yeah, I have extraterrestrial too. I call them Humalians. I have children. I'm, I mourn the loss of them. I don't see them. I asked, she asked to see them. She, so she was being abducted since she was young. It, it just dawned on her what was happening, and she asked. She said, no, this is not good enough. If you want me involved in this program, if you want to do this, I want to meet the children that I'm having. And she did, and she got to meet them. And, oh, wow. um, how wonderful. It, it, yeah, she's, she, her story is amazing, and if you ever do get a chance to get her on your show oh, and you do speak, to. Uh, please tell her that Damien just – I couldn't speak more highly. She is so – and she is brutal as well. She is just, she's she's your, you know, your proper Aussie where it's like, no, nah, no bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, she's lost a lot out of this and she had nothing to gain. Do you have, a, you know, do you have contact details for her? I, wonder I can if, send, yeah, of course I do. I'd yeah. love to have her on the show. That yeah. would be amazing. Have a chat with Jane Pooley. Um, yeah. You know, a, a, a wonderful story and, you know, if you catch her at the right time, you know, she gets quite emotional about it. And, yeah. Um, I'm not, don't you know, blame her. No, it's it's. I mean, yeah. Now she just accepts what is, and she now accepts even even if people send things in like CGI based. You know, she she's like, oh yeah, it could be something. Don't know. And she's just, mm-hmm. it's no longer a. I need to tell the world. It's more. You know what? I tried to tell you. You didn't listen. Um, now it's just it's a legacy. So whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Beautiful person. So I would definitely send those contact details. So <clears> she's <throat> met. She's met. She got a chance to meet the children that she'd been she'd been abducted over over years and years and years and was being used mm-hmm. uh, as a reproductive um, yes. vessel for yes. and creating hybrid uh, human um, yep. whatever race of aliens they were creating mm-hmm. uh, hybrids. So, w- what an amazing story! What a, what an incredible and... thing to happen and for her to actually then meet. Those children, uh, how wonderful! Absolutely, yeah, and yeah, and and her her memories of you know um, playing with them and talk, speaking to them and and how they grow and how you know it it's just it's beautiful. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. But not everyone gets that experience. Not everyone has that intellect where they can go. Well, they do, but they don't tap into it. Yeah, and they don't actually ask the questions like, hey, and this is where 
and I keep bringing it up, and, you know, I don't consider the AAC a CE5-driven group. We are a research-driven group. CTEC is all research. But we we always bring up CE5 because, first of all, <clears throat> CE5 is such a authentic, organic way to do things, and um, it, it's a beautiful way to make contact. I don't care if it's in, with an extraterrestrial or a possum up a tree. It it doesn't matter. Your, 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 your intentions are pure, and, and that's what it is. With with C five, it's we we're trying the, the 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 reason we want to obviously help experiences that are going through abduction or feel that they are or they they think that they're going through it but they may not be or whatever it may be the case. The thing is, they have to understand. They have to get to a conscious level where they're understanding that they can actually um, they actually do have a say and you can actually communicate. You are intelligent enough, and you you do actually have a say in what happens to you. It's because if you don't practice your conscious, if you don't practice with your conscious self, and you don't actually put things into practice where you can develop your um, sense of heightness or a sense of you know uh, relativity or whatever is relative to you, if you don't practice that, you're never going to be able to you know learn how to communicate on a different level. So we're trying to put, you know, rather than the narrative being, oh, my God, I was abducted. It's like, okay, first of all, you were abducted. Absolutely. Okay, you didn't know. However, could you please consider that it wasn't that you didn't know. It's that you just don't remember being told. And secondly, your consciousness probably gave them permission. And because you're human, you're not silly. You know, if you didn't want to do something, you, you you would you know and there are obviously there are malevolent species benevolent species you know that would um you know that would obviously do harm i mean just like there is human you know so there's some species that don't that just don't care they take what they want and that's what i've learned from the research but predominantly most of the experiences can be turned around and there's a few people that have been abducted from very very early who have now turned it into a positive experience who now have a say like hey if you're going to take me this is the only thing that can happen and in one of the episodes that i um speak about in the podcast i actually you know talking to costa when costa macris and what he said and his friend said was you can you can communicate through me you can take me but do not touch my sexual organs. Do not do anything with that. And it stipulates. Now, people people think, okay, we're human and extraterrestrial beings are, a civil, you know, light, light years above what we are. It's like, no, 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 you can't think like that. There's a reason why we're studied. There's a reason why, you know, it, that we're tapped into. There's a reason why we're even allowed to, communicate on such a level okay we're extremely intelligent our emotions and the fact that we can be born and we can pass away the fact that we can move on to different lives the fact that we can develop our consciousness the fact that we can psychogenically do things um move objects do whatever it is that is absolutely it's a superpower Mm. who wouldn't want to study that who wouldn't want to create hybrids? Like, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, I've got to be honest. If I was, 
out in space and my civilization was, you know, dying or there was nowhere to go or whatever it is, I would certainly do it, mm-hmm. you know, for the continuation of a, of a race. Now, that's pretty in-depth, but when you talk about it in those terms and are able to just chat about it, it's actually quite, I mean, it's quite sustainable. It actually makes sense. Well, it's you know, like, it's like, a, it's like donating your eggs or donating your sperm for, for yep. somebody else to have a child. Yeah. Yep. Continuation. Yeah. Continuation. And if you felt that, okay, just say you're the, your family is the only bloodline of an Australian left in Australia, you, I'm sorry, but you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to want to do something about that. Okay. And no longer are we a, oh, I don't speak for everyone, but no longer are we a uh, civilization where we just let um, uh, whales and tigers and everything become extinct. We now, you know, we, God, we even clone them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so we're no different. We're no different. We're doing exactly what they're doing. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, we're, we're not doing anything. They're not doing anything. more. The only thing they're able to do, the only thing they've tapped into, and that is because of technology, technology only. There's nothing, there's nothing different about what extraterrestrials have been, I guess, documented to do than what we can't. Uh, so that, that we can't. The only thing that we can't do is do the, the propulsion side of things, the anti-gravity. And even then, I mean, you're looking at the, the TR-3B. I mean, we've designed that. It's a beautiful machine and it's capable of doing some amazing things. We're now going into deep space. We're now going, you know, so we are making advances with our technology. But everything else, I mean, we're no different. We want to know just as much about them as what they do us, okay? But we're not, we're not there yet where we can go into outer space and, you know, take one of these little guys and, <laughs> and you know, and do tests on them. But I tell you what, if we get the opportunity, we would do it. And – sure. Yeah, and we would, and we wouldn't just do it once. And science, you know, humans, man, we're brutal. I, and I read a, I read a quote. Somebody said this the other day, and I wrote it down when I was preparing to talk to you because I thought it was a really good question. Um, if we found and captured a craft, yeah, and there were beings inside, would human would humans kill that being just to get the tech? so that we could have that propulsion system? Are we that ruthless that we would? And I, I would say, yes, of course, we would. <laughs> I think initially, mm. I think initially, unless, unless you've got the story such as, you know, Matilda McAvoy, is that the one? Um, I've actually just put a video up on the Australian community uh, YouTube so I put a two-part series of the Matilda McAvoy story. Um, I think that's how you say her last name. And it was the interrogation of the alien. Now, obviously, the the visuals and that is uh, – there's some visuals that may deem true at the end of it, but most of it is CGI and, yeah. But the recording, the computer animated voice and everything like that, that is a transcript of um, uh, her interview of an extraterrestri- uh, the extraterrestrial being that crashed, uh, sorry, oh, crashed yes. at Area 51. I've read that. And I have read that. It was yeah. amazing. And the, the alien refused to talk to anybody else other than her, yeah. right? Because she was tapped in. That's yes, it. that's right. And it's, it's unless that situation happens that, you know, um, my, uh, my communication with Shannon Lee, and I'm hoping, uh, sorry, I'll, 
supposed to be talking this weekend. We'll see what happens. Um, Shannon Lee, his testimony, you know, he, um, you know, he, he actually got to touch a craft and um, in the, when he worked at the trench in the, when he was in the military and he touched the craft and he, he knew that it was a conscious thing and the way that it was operating and the way that it moved, because when he touched it, he felt death and he realized that, um, you know, if there was beings inside, when he touched it, he would have felt it. And that's the feeling he got from touching the craft. And the reason why I say that is because they knew somehow that when that craft did crash at Area 51, and by the way, it didn't crash, I would dare say it was shot down. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's a different conversation um, in, in relation to, you know, um, how it was shot down, um, the sonic boom system and the uh, the, um, the technology that, we're talking about anti-gravity technology, um, which is brings brings us back to Bob Lazar. But the technology that they were creating has had the ability to shoot craft from the sky. Now, you know, the thing is, they knew for some reason when that craft uh, craft had crashed, they knew that there was life inside. They knew that there was life there, and it just so happened to be that it was it wasn't a natural reaction for the military the, the military staff that was on in and around that facility that had gone to that location i mean come on if you saw something that was you know uh that, that looked some looked completely different from human that looked like a monster or whatever it is you, i'm sorry but you would cheat yourself and if you had an AK-47, you'd probably do the unthinkable. Yeah. Um, because at that point in time, like, you just wouldn't know what was going on. It would, be a, it would be an absolute nightmare. But for some reason, they didn't do that. And it's worth considering that, you know, they have developed their consciousness to such a level that they are able to communicate and send out a frequency to – to set their intention, similar to the C5, you know, like, hey, I'm not here to harm, I'm not here, I'm here to whatever it is, I'm passing through or whatever it is. But obviously, you know, that is, that is something I have. Unfortunately, that that being passed away, God knows why, I don't know the, the in and outs of that. But, you know, so clearly they're able to communicate on a level that um, consciously um, affects people and how they think you know they can really override memories they can you know cause glitches and things like that with with their state of consciousness so obviously they they're a lot more advanced in that sense but you know we as a civilization we're very young uh, as a race sorry you know and we're fast becoming especially if we're tapping into this c5 stuff you know we're also doing the same thing so everything they have done we're doing you know we're exactly where we need to be we know enough. We know just enough. If we know any more, we'll become too powerful. We'll probably blow ourselves up. Like, it's it's not sustainable that we learn at rapid speed. Okay, we're born. It's a slow birth and it's a slow death. And in that time, we have the ability to grow all these things that we can do. So, you know, 
you can't go from zero to 100, um, you know, with all these abilities and everything like that. And we've got to take our time. I think the UFO community uh, disclosure movement, we are in such a good position right now. There's a and lot happening. It is, there's so many good things happening. And, okay, yeah, the government have their policy. Well, they, they always did. They always did. But you know what? You know, we're not doing their job. And we, we know what we should know. And that's 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 just my opinion, you know. I've got I've spoken to people, not in power. I've spoken to people that can influence, and if I trust those people, and if those people say, "Look, you know what, man, they're doing their best," like they don't have all the answers themselves, then that's good enough for me. And these are trustworthy people. That's it. I think we're part of a movement where you know we've now accepted that it's happening and people need to start accepting that it, the, the, the phrase it's happening doesn't mean to say that UFOs are ready to land on earth and we're going to start um, relocating and setting up these hybrid programs and everything. That's not what it is. It's all happening in the sense that in my opinion, from what I understand already among us a living at large in a com- in the community, unbeknownst to those people, um, especially if abduction is a thing, and you know if hybrids have been you know um, implanted or anything like that, it's basically it's only common sense that they would be injected into the community if they've been doing this for years and years and years and years. And we're talking about indigenous communities communicating this also, then of course they would be. You know, they're not doing these programs just to take them out into space and then just do something else. You know, it's life on Earth as well. Yeah. Is that where the concept of star seeds come in? Mm. Yes. Um, so just very briefly, maybe that's a, a different chat, but the star seed community, um, it, it's derived from essentially human beings feeling they're not at home and it's not that they're not at home it's just they're they don't it's a pull it's a pull it's like when your mum and dad break up you know who do you go with (laughs) it's 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 you've really got to visually i mean it's not as tormenting as that but some people it is you talk you talked about you know the the um uh, mercury retrograde and everything like that. It's like that all the time for people that feel a disconnect with, I don't feel that I relate to anyone mm. or I don't think the same. And that's what I spent my half my life feeling oh, that that's way. That's me. That's um, so me. <laughs> yeah. I know. Rita, Sol like, Rita did tell me she thought I was a star seed as well. But Absolutely. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. Look at the field you're working in. But you don't listen. The average person doesn't do this. <laughs> listen to the conversation we're having. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> and, That's right. And then you know, so you, you start thinking like that. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I am different. And then they get deeper into it, and then they start looking at their origins. And that's where the starseed community come from. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions. People think, oh, they're starseeds. They've been dropped off, and they're waiting to be picked up and things like that. Not quite. You're exactly where you're supposed to be, and you will live out this human life, and then, you know, whatever happens next. And that is your role. That is your job. You're not going anywhere. And, yeah, this is where exactly where you should be. Um, but starseed is, 
just acknowledging your origins. Okay, well, what's my personality traits? What's my characteristics? How do I look? How do I think? Um, Am I narcissistic? Am I abusive? Am I um, an empath? Am I um, clairvoyant? And you take all those characteristics and you you learn about um, what we know in research, um, what we know about other races, and you put your attributes to them and you start making connections. And when you start making those connections, you start uh, getting a bit of a map, uh, uh, a map of where you come from. Once you start putting that together, I think there are people that just really change. They become, you know, uh, entities <laughs> into themselves yeah, right. and um, they solely live, you know, yeah, for it. But, um, you know, that's the starseed community. It's a fickle thing. Yeah, and we can we can talk about starseeds another day because that's a, it is a whole huge topic in and of itself. Shall we? It's, it's massive. Shall we wrap it up by? Yes. Do you do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> might be dinner time. Um, well, <laughs> uh, do you want to mention where people can get in touch with you if yeah, they need absolutely. to, and also yep. mention your podcast, The Vault, that you've yep. just started? Can so, I do that? Yeah, go for it. Plug it. All right, cool. So uh, the Vault podcast um, is season one is uh, eight episodes, and yeah, look, it's um, it'll be is a bit of live. There's a bit of pre-recorded. There's a bit of there's lots of testimonials and lots of um, people with um, experiences. A lot of researchers, all centered around uh, mental health and the effects of activity on human life, and getting those experiences to tell their story and how it happened. So yeah, the Vault episodes are out every fortnight it's on live on the youtube channel if you go on the youtube channel it's actually um it's like a little movie that goes with it if you want to listen on spotify you can do that other than that the australian community.com that's alien with a-l-i-e-n and you'll find all the information there website gets um released next month we're doing a launch for that oh i can't wait (laughs) um we're doing like a launch party uh special guests and there's prizes we're gonna do a bit of a merch line as well and yeah it's gonna be super super exciting we're just we're just having fun with it and um growing the community so hopefully people you know come along for the ride and that's about as self-promoting as i can get I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. great that's great Damien Douglas of The Vault and of CETEC and AAC. Would you panic if you attempted CE5 and it worked? What would you do? Take care out there if you're planning on a CE5 meetup with friends. As Damien said, it sounds like caution is needed to avoid summoning beings we know nothing about and whose intentions might not necessarily be benevolent. I had a weird moment during the interview with Damien. I've edited it out, but I'd press the mute on my microphone to so I could shoo my dogs out of the room because they were being noisy and clip-clopping on the floorboards with their claws. And somehow Damien heard me say shoo. I said shoo, shoo, shoo three times to the dogs and he somehow heard it anyway. The recording didn't pick it up, so the mute was definitely on my microphone and working. 
The only explanation I can come up with is that Damien heard me telepathically shoo the dogs out of the room. That's the only explanation I can think of. What do you reckon? Well, that's it for this week's show. Remember, if you've seen a Yowie or you've had an unusual experience you'd like to get off your chest and share with the Yowie Central listeners, I would love to hear from you and I won't think you're crazy. So get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group. No show next week, my friends. My mum is coming to visit down from Queensland. I haven't seen her in two years due to the pandemic. So I'm taking a week off to hang out with my mum. And because I know that you all plan your diaries around Yowie Central, (laughs) not, um, I will also be taking the last two weeks of April off to go on a little holiday. So there'll be a break of a couple of weeks while I cruise around in our new deluxe off-road caravan. I'm a bit excited. Yowie Central will be back next Wednesday week. I'll catch you then. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. of your diamond ring your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime when you're sucking the blood right out of your spine This is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're 
so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you Acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.